has had a huge impact on the way that I work with children. And I do teach a, a child psych class at Columbia in the School of Social Work. And, and I refer everybody to the, to the Dougie Center. I show her video as one of the main videos in my class on traumatic loss during childhood. She is one of the most amazing people in working with children in the world. She was the executive director for the Dougie Center for 25 years and still works there. She also works with the FBI and does a lot of things in the courtroom as an expert witness for children. Um, she was on the board of the Compassionate Friends for three years. She has served on a lot of boards. ADAC, she started the National Alliance for Grieving Children. She is an absolute leader in the field. She has spoken at many, many conferences. She has written many, many articles about children and grief. If you need to know anything about children and grief, please go to the Dougie Center because the references and the information they have is absolutely second to none. And she has trained people all over the world on how to recreate bereavement centers that work with children. She is a brief sibling to her, her sister, Lynn. So yes, Donna is unbelievable. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it's a honor and a privilege to be here uh, from Portland, Oregon, where the Dougie Center, the National Center for Grieving Children, runs programs for bereaved children as young as three up through young adults, which we're actually calling up to sort of 40 year olds. In prior to COVID, 70 different ongoing peer support groups, along with all of the adults who accompany those children, parents, grandparents, uh, sometimes an aunt or uncle, over 550 children every month and about 400 of the adults in their lives. And those groups are ongoing every other week for an hour and a half. They're divided by age, three to five-year-olds, six to 10. We have overlap 10 to 14. We have teen groups. We also have uh, Spanish-speaking Esperanza group, and we have a program for families who have a family member with an advanced serious illness like ALS or cancer, working with those families prior to a death. And we've been working here in Portland since 1981, have helped to train and start about 500 programs based on our model throughout the United States and into parts of Italy, Germany, um, Rwanda. And for more information on the Dougie Center, just go to Dougie.org. But I want to use the, the brief moments that I have with you today to just talk about a few things that I've learned from grieving children and families over the more than 30 years that I've been associated with the Dougie Center. And for those of you who are grieving the death of someone in your life, and listening to this, whether that death was 20, 30 years ago, or whether it was this week, whether it was from COVID-19 or accident, illness, suicide, homicide, what I can tell you is, and I, I hear this all the time as I'm still on the board of the Compassionate Friends, uh, parents who've had a child die at any age, that you never get over that. And when we use words like resolved or done, or as if there's some magic finish line to grief. I think we're discrediting the experience that we have when someone in our lives who was so important to us has died. My 91-year-old mother 
lost her first child five days after birth to death. And she's 91. She's lost her short-term memory. She hasn't lost her long-term memory. She still talks about her daughter, Lynn, and how she remembers her, her face and her fingers. And you know what? I think it's as it should be. And I can't speak for anyone who's watching, but I know I can speak for myself to say, when I die, I want to be remembered. I want people to remember me and to laugh and to enjoy life and to cry and to miss me. So one of the things I want to just say is grief is complicated. And we hear a lot about complicated grief. And I think that, yes, there are people who can benefit from quality. And I want to emphasize quality professional help because there are a lot of therapists out there. And I've heard a lot of horror stories about therapists who are not trained. They're not grief informed. They're not trauma informed. And they give sometimes very bad advice to people. So I'm not anti-therapy, but I am anti-bad therapy. So I think that we need to recognize that grief is complicated because people are complicated, because relationships are complex. And as we go into this time now with COVID-19, these aren't normal times for any of us. We have not experienced this kind of separation from our friends, our family, from the routines that would accompany us when we're grieving. Again, whether that death happens post-COVID-19 or pre-COVID-19. And one of the things we're hearing from a lot of our families who've had a family member die is, you know, now when people say, how are you doing? What they mean is, how are you doing since COVID started? Not so much, how are you doing since your dad died, since your sister died, since your brother died? And in some ways, in a lot of ways, they're expressing that they feel like their grief has been diminished by the fact that we're all grieving losses, not just deaths, but losses of life as we knew it. And I'm just hoping that we don't pathologize each other for those normal responses to an abnormal situation. And we don't have to pathologize people in order for people to get quality, either professional help or the support of others. There's so much research that just shows how much support can help each other. That's why we do these Zoom calls. That's why we still call each other, why we need connection. We need people in our lives who can understand what we're going through and with whom we can share what we're going through. So I hope that we don't all have to become uh, pathologized or told we have complicated grief or other uh, mental disorders because we're going through normal responses in an abnormal situation. Um, please understand also that we all grieve differently. And we grieve differently based on the relationship with you had with the person who died. So I grieved my father's death 15 years ago very differently than I grieved my friend Carrie's death who jumped off a bridge in Portland about two years ago because they were different people. I had different relationships with them. I had lots of different feelings. So not only do we all grieve differently, 
Some people cry, some children cry, some children talk, some don't talk. But we know too that children express their grief and their other things that they're wondering and, and thinking about and feeling often through play. So if any of you have young children, watch their play, play with them, let them direct the play, let them tell you what to do. Um, I think that as parents sometimes, or even as professionals, we think we need to have all the answers. And sometimes we don't have the answers. And I think what we can do to help our children and our teens really a lot more is to listen to them. What are you struggling with? What's that like for you? How can I be of help? And to be curious. And in that process, for those of you who are grieving, those of you who are parenting, uh, children who are grieving, I really want to encourage you, I think this is one of the most important things, is to be kind to yourself. We make a lot of judgments in our own minds about what we should or shouldn't be doing. I should be over this. I missed a stage of grief. I still feel angry. Should I feel this? Should I not? And instead of like shoulding on ourselves, what if we were just to respond to our own feelings and our own emotions like we would with a dear friend? Because we say things to ourselves that we would never say to a dear friend. And I wanna encourage all of you, there's no time frame, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. However you are honoring and remembering your child, your spouse, your partner, your cousin, however you're remembering them is how perhaps you need to remember them. Now, again, if you're struggling with depression that is keeping you from living the life you want, if you're experiencing uh, things that you want to talk with a trained professional about, fine, but don't uh, over judge yourself for how you're grieving. I want to say just a few things about children also and teens that this is a time where some of us wish we didn't have to be as honest with our children as we need to be with COVID-19. So we have to tell them, young children, there's a germ, there's something happening. They don't understand why we can't hug and see our friends. And so we've had to be really honest with them. And I think that same thing holds true with being honest with children around death, that it's sad, it's hard, but, but to answer their questions honestly, even if those answers are, I don't know. I know a lot of people have talked about struggling with their teens under normal situations in the world, not quite understanding is my teen grieving? They're acting out. Is that because of grief or is that because they're a teen? And it, in some ways, for some families, is more complex now because they don't have the same opportunity to get away and the teens don't have the same physical opportunity, most of them, to be with their friends. Uh, they're a lot more savvy than a lot of adults, so most of them are finding ways to connect with their friends. And I think it's important for parents or caregivers of teens who are grieving a death to recognize that their peer group is their go-to. 
And so if they're not sharing with you, that may not all be um, bad for them. Uh, to be looking for signs that are troubling, yes, then, you know, if they're abusing substances or, or stealing or other kinds of behaviors that are concerning to you. But if they're being quiet, if they're spending more time with their peers, that's often what happens. And that's the value of really peer support groups at all levels, which have been happening uh, all over the world for, for decades, not just for people who are grieving a death, but for people who are struggling with other kinds of issues, struggling with alcohol, struggling with relationships. And so whatever ways you can find to help yourself as well as your children, your teens, to connect with others. And there are a lot of things happening uh, these days that are virtual where actually some of our families who might not have been able to attend our in-person groups because of distance, because of having a family member with an advanced serious illness, um, are able to do so virtually in ways that they weren't prior to COVID-19. Um, I think we need to be aware and cognizant of the increased pressure that is on all of us. I remember reading uh, actually several times in the last weeks some surveys about how many people in the United States say that they are you know, struggling with some um, mental health issues. And unfortunately, you know, mental health has such a negative uh, connotation sometimes in our, in our world, in our community, as if there's something wrong with you, as opposed to, no, I'm struggling with my anger, with my frustration because of often external situations like the restrictions of COVID-19 or like the fact that we didn't get to be with our person who was dying or that friends of ours have died and we get an obituary, we read the obituaries that only say services will be held like someday in the future. It's a disservice and it feels dishonoring to people that we love. So the survey is saying about 50% of people in the United States uh, feel that they have had some struggles with their mental health since COVID-19. And I, I'm sorry, I just can't help but wonder what's wrong with the other 50%. <laughs> you know, it's like, how could you be in this and not have some struggles? So I, while there definitely can be positives that come out of this, I'm hoping that the combination of recognizing how much our connection means, so when we get to reconnect, it'll mean more with the emphasis on social justice, the Black Lives Matter movement, that we will become more caring, more compassionate with each other. That may be a positive outcome of all of this. I certainly hope so. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't still kind of feel bad in the meantime. So all those range of emotion and expression, for those of us who are not currently grieving the death of someone, all of those are heightened and deepened and even more intense when someone 
in our lives has died, or we're even more aware of their loss in our daily lives. And again, whether that death was 30 years ago, three years ago, three days ago, the time doesn't matter. The people that we love and we care about will be a part of us until our last breaths. I wanna thank you again for this opportunity and just a few uh, resources that are available if anyone is listening that is interested in knowing if there is a uh, grief program for children and families, teens and families in their area. There are many across the United States and into other countries. You can look on our website at dougie.org, D-O-U-G-Y.org. We have a listing by state or country of the programs, both that we have helped to train, programs we've helped to train, have trained, or other programs that are not our model, but which we have listed there. And uh, I also want to mention we have many downloadable free resources. We have tip sheets for those in education, for parents, for uh, clinicians. We have, they're downloadable, they're free. We have a podcast, Grief Out Loud, with many different topics related to lived experience. And those, again, are available at help at Dougie.org. I've learned that it helped me to help others, to know I'm not the only one, put one foot in front of the other, find a life. Adding hope to the darkness, you start on the trip to recovery. Reach deep down inside and say, I am going to live on. We laugh, we cry, and remember. Hope without action doesn't work. Hope with action can change the world. We always say, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours.